Our text this morning is Revelation chapter 22, verses 10 through 21. When I selected this passage, I had no idea that, because I selected it a couple of weeks ago, I had no idea that Dan was going to preach from Job chapter 1. And he he pointed out to us that Job chapter 1, or the, the book of Job, could very possibly be the oldest written book in terms of chronology, the first one written. Well, one thing I can, and many people feel that way, and uh, who am I to argue? Um, But one thing I know for sure, Revelation was the last one. And we are going to be looking today at the very last words of the last book of the Bible written. So if if you aren't there, we're going to start at Revelation 22. I'm going to first start off by reading the text. And for the sake of um, context, I'm I'm going to back it up to verse 6 and he said to me and the he right here is the angel that was delivering the message to John and he said to me these words are faithful and true and the Lord the God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show show to his bondservant the things which must be short must shortly take place and behold I am coming quickly blessed is he who heeds the words of this of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he, the angel, said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your, and of your brother and the prophets and of those who heed the words of, of this book, worship God. And he, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does the wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my messenger, my angel, to testify to you these things for the, church, for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of, this, of the book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. And let's open in a word of prayer. Our Father, our God, as we, as we look to these last words that you have had written down for us, Lord, may we, 
May we learn by them and may we heed the message that you have in this book. We know that this book was written to the churches. Yes, there's, there's things for all of humanity out there, but Lord, this is written to us. May we, may as you suggest in this book, may we read it, may we understand it, and most of all, as in all of your teachings, may we live by them. And Lord, today as we begin, may, may this word be, and this message be not only a blessing to the people, but may, the, may, the, may your people, myself included, be edified, and most of all, may you be glorified. Amen. Okay. Now this book, the, or the book of Revelation, just a way of uh, opening up a little bit, Revelation was originally written to, uh, to seven churches that existed in Asia Minor. And let's back up just a little bit, just for the sake of setting the groundwork for this and getting the context Revelation chapter 1, verse 11 says, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And so this is where this book is going. And also we know that each of the seven churches were given a special message, but yet at the same time, they were all to get a copy of this whole book. Okay, so each of the seven churches were given a special message and that addressed certain problems that existed in the church or, as in the case of the church at Smyrna, encouragement. Uh, Smyrna, you might remember, is the church that was under persecution and they were, and as a result, they were a clean church. They were doing things right because the, the chaff seems to vacate the minute persecution starts. I mean, you can see that even through church history. Um, many churches end up getting smaller, but they end up getting stronger. They end up getting very effective. So to all the churches, he says, and let's, I'm going to look at a few, little bit here. To all the churches, it's written, even in the Smyrna, it's written. I'll, I'll pick it up in Ephesus, um, verse 7. It says, he who has an ear, and this is uh, Revelation 2, 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, again, this portion, this portion of the letter in this whole book of Revelation is moving toward the eternal state. And the eternal state um, is where you read about the tree of life that will be existing in the new heaven and new earth, specifically in the new Jerusalem that will be the capital of that new earth. Okay? And so you've got the context flowing there. But the point I wanted to bring out in this before we get, we're going to go back now to chapter 22. But I just wanted to point out the fact that we're going to see the theme of this, of the final chapter is very much like the opening. Talking about reminding, talking about people that, the overcomers. And who obviously are the overcomers? Those that are saved. Right? If you don't overcome, you're going down. Because remember, the overcomers are the ones that are going to be in that great city. It's the overcomers. Now, before we get to cut some introductory statements, I'd like to look at verse 10 of uh, chapter 22. And in here we see the urgency of the message. It's, it's, there's some urgency behind it. In verse 10, 
It says, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Now, unlike the prophecies given to Daniel, you go back in time, unlike the prophecies to Daniel, there were said to be... uh, there were said to be many days in the future from him. Let's take a quick look there, because again, because this is the, uh, the urgency factor. And so I'm going to look at Daniel. If you want to turn back there, you may. Um, Daniel 8, 26 and 27. If I can get there. 8, 26, 27. And the vision of the evenings and mornings, which has been told is true, but keep the vision secret, for it pertains to many days in the future. Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days, and I got up again to carry on the king's business, but I was astounded at the vision, and there was none to explain it. And if we move forward to chapter 12 of Daniel, which is the last chapter, 12.4, all coming to an end, for, at least in Daniel's the book of Daniel, but as for Daniel, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. So again, as time goes on, knowledge of things of the end are going to eventually increase, increase, and get to the point to where it's time for this message to come <clears throat> to fruition. And you look at 12, 8 to 10 in Daniel, it says, As for me, I heard, but I could not understand. So I said, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said, Go your way, Daniel. For these words are concealed and sealed up until the time of the end. Verse 10 goes on to say, Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. Sounds a little bit like in, in Revelation. Let them who are evil stay evil, let the filthy remain filthy. But the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. And that's where we stand now. So back to Revelation. And on the way back, stop off at chapter 1 real quick. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 says this. The opening statements of this book. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants, to his bondservants, or that's doulos, slaves, the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now is the time, and quite frankly, this is our time If it was a time in John in the first century, it's still our time. This is the time. This is the time. And moving back into chapter 22, verses 6 and 7, it says, And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. Urgency. See, again, the the urgency of the message. Why? Because these things, according to God's timing, are shortly going to take place. And then in verse 7, it goes on to say, And behold, I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. Now, 
For the purposes, from the perspective of God, the prophetic calendar, we are exactly in the last days. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 say this. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Now you notice that statement. Jesus, in these last days. We are in these last days. The last days is, in fact, the days. It's the Messianic era. We are in the Messianic era. Jesus started off by his first coming. He will bring it to completion by his second coming. So these are the last days. We are in them. And the importance of the final message in there, you look in these passages from seven through the end, Jesus speaks and identifies himself four times in this closing section. Four times. Not only is he bringing attention to the ending, but he's bringing attention to the whole book. Remember, this is, this is how many books of the Bible do we have that up front it starts with a, a blessing if you read it and understand it. This one does. And yet this, one, this book has scared, has scared believers throughout the ages, throughout the whole church age. People are just scared of this thing. And we shouldn't. Um, in verse 22, in, in in verse 7 of chapter 22, again, he says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. In verses 12 to 13, again, he says, I am coming quickly. Um, in verse 13, I want to make a special point to that. It says, I am where he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That, to me, it does a couple of things. One Jesus further identifies himself as being God. Don't miss that. It's all over the scripture. It's all over the New Testament. But but again, I find it interesting that even in the very last writings of the very last book, that is brought forward. And it's brought forward by Jesus himself, claiming, I am the root. He says, He says, uh, well, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. If you compare that to Isaiah, say, 44, 6, where Isaiah says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. That's it. And then Isaiah 48, 12 says, Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I have called, I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Again, this is, again, this is consistent with Scripture. And I love it the, when you see the Old Testament. And that's why um, <clears throat> I don't want to sound like Mr. T, but I pity the people that disregard the Old Testament as being, ah, that's passe. Oh, man, they, you miss so much. That is such a foundation. It's from the Old Testament that the New Testament is, is brought forth and fulfilled. And, and, and the, the Old Testament gives the New Testament even greater riches, richness than it has on its own. And I just, again, I, I, I pity the people that sit under teachers like that. And then verse 16, where it says, And Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent my messenger to testify to you the things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. Again, more statements concerning his deity. I am the root 
and the offspring of David. Think about that. The root that the tree comes from. So he's the root that sprouts the tree to begin with. And he's also the offspring or the fruit of the tree, if you will. Well, how can you be both? (laughs) Because you're God. That's how. The one who created the universe, the one who brought forth David, is the one through the incarnation became the offspring of David. Again, again, another clear-cut statement of deity. But again, that to me points to the emphasis of this message. The fact that he identifies himself and makes it clear who he is. Who he is. And he calls also the bright and morning star. That was, that's an interesting term. Well, that's actually, I believe, from Numbers 24.17. Numbers 24.17 says this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall fall forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. Jesus. We just saw, this is, this is chapter 22. You go back to chapter 19 at the second coming. What's it referred to Jesus as? The King of kings and Lord of lords. And again, throughout the Old Testament and the New Messiah is going to come out of the line of David. The Davidic covenant, a king will come out of David and rule his people forever. Again, this is in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, and it's part of the very last words of the New Testament, and which is the last words of the Bible itself. Again, showing the importance of it. And one last little statement, and this is by... Christ again in verse 20 where it says yes I am coming quickly now that was the introduction the message is this okay this final message in verse from verses that we just read in chapter 22 here three things I'd like to glean from this passage if those of you that like to take notes three points I'd like to make the first point is the, a pronouncement of blessing. Then I'm going to move from there to a severe warning, and then from there to a gracious invitation. Start with the pronouncement of blessing, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter by the gates into the city. Now, remember back in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, He who reads... Those who hear, and we're talking about those who hear, and this is going to be stated, this is stated all over the scripture, but those who hear, hearing as in hearing and understanding, not just hearing a bunch of words and then having to go through one ear and out the other, but those who actually hear and understand, and then it goes on, how do you know they understand? Because of the third statement, those who heed or obey, those who obey, those who truly hear to the point about who, those who hear and understand the word of God will obey. That's another way of saying, uh, describing a saved individual. Because they, they be, again, what did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. You will be obedient. You will, if the Bible says it, you will do it. There'll be no question in your mind as to if we should obey something or should we not. 
I mean, it's just, it, it becomes natural for us. And um, <clears throat> in Revelation 14, 13, the, the martyred saints um, for the faith, obviously true saints of God, in verse 2, uh, in, 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 chapter, in verse 12 of that, it says, the saints who kept the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Okay, it's that's it, those who kept their faith and the commandments. They go together. They go together. The, the fact that um, the martyred saints in the tribulation period, which is going to be a rough time, we might talk about that a little bit later, but the fact is that the description of a believer is one who keeps the commandments and their faith. They're synonymous. They're really synonymous. Those that do not, uh, those that are not believers are just not going to obey. It, it's just that simple. It, it's just that simple. That's the, the mark of a true believer is one who follows Christ. Christ is our king. We follow him. Christ is our God. We believe in him. We don't go off on our own. And we don't pick and choose what we follow, what we don't follow. If um, It's like the, the old bumper sticker said, if the Bible says it, I believe it. Well, even more than that, if the Bible says it, we want to be obedient to it, right? So now, and also too, like those saints that, uh, and that's what's called in, enduring to the end. The saints who kept the commandments of God and their faith, speaking of those martyred saints in Revelation 14, Jesus said, Two, remember Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Again, enduring to the end, endurance is a mark of the believer. It's not, that passage isn't saying, if you work real hard, endure real hard, struggle, and you'll you'll make it to the end, you'll be saved. That's not what it's saying. That is a mark of a true believer. They will endure that's part of the doctrine of the preservation of the saints. You will endure. You will make it. You will live up to it. And then Revelation 16, 15. Let's look at that one. Revelation 16, 15. Again, these, these are pronouncements of blessings that we're looking at. <clears throat> Again, the urgency, verse 15 is, Behold, I am coming like, like, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments, lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. What's that thing? Stay awake. That's being, being alert, being prepared, having your eyes open. Again, that refers to a, to a, a saved individual. Why? Well, look what was following up. And keeps his garments. Well, you know the old saying, keep your pants on? That's what this is saying. You keep your garments. You keep your garments. You don't lose them. Because look at the next statement. Lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. Nakedness is symbolic of those of one whose shame, sinful shame is visible to all. That's the, that's the text here. That's the context of this statement. Nakedness has always been like being shamed, walking shame. Uh, how often did Jesus, eat, or not Jesus, but the Lord through the prophets say to the nation Israel as they were sinning, I will expose your nakedness. And they would say, I will lift your skirts. I mean, it uses terms like that to, to expose that your sinfulness. And that's what, that's what this, this, these, uh, these metaphors are talking about. And then we move forward, Revelation 19. 
beginning verse 7. Revelation 19, 7 through 9 says, Let us rejoice. This is, in the marriage, this is the marriage supper of the Lamb, by the way. So let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. <clears throat> and it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are, these are true words of God. Now, note in verse 8 where it says about what it says about the fine linen, the fine linen, bright and clean. Why is it bright and clean? Because it represents the righteous acts of the saints, and which, is, which depicts their spiritual conditions as being clean, being clean. And so blessed are those who are clean. It's just many, many ways of saying over and over again, blessed are the saved. And I want to put this blessing because these blessings now are going to be held in contrast to some severe warnings that are coming up in this book that we, we need to pay attention to. And then verse chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, again, it's made clear, the same thing is made clear. And I saw the thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, talking about those tribulation saints uh, <clears throat> who had worshipped the beast in his image and had not re- received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Hmm. The, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. And blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over, the, over, this, over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. You see, there is a thousand year kingdom out there. But again, the blessing, it's clear that the blessing is only for those who express true faith in Christ, true faith in the gospel. It's not for everybody else. As a matter of fact, by the time you, you, know, you, you get to this, this section, uh, the next act, Christ comes back, and next thing you know, Satan is bound, you have the millennium, and then uh, it moves through. 22 moves on, and where we are now, we're, this is after everything is talked about in 27, in verse 22, 7, let's get back into chapter 22. It says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. He who heeds. Who is he who heeds? Heeds means obey. Blessed is that. The blessing goes for those who obey. 22, 14. He says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Now, 22, 14. Those who wash their robes. Now that is a graphic representation of the, the believer's participation actually in the death of Christ itself. And this is a, something that, is, again, is stated through this book and throughout the, the New Testament and, quite frankly, is pictured in every blood sacrifice of the Old Testament. That, um, let's look at Revelation 7.14. We'll talk about some of those... Um, Martyrs, the tribulation saint martyrs, that uh, is the immediate context of chapter 22. So 714, 
says, and I said, to, and I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulations, and they have, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And that is the picture given here, and that is the picture given through the Gospels. It's all through the Gospels. We are cleansed by the blood of Christ. We're not cleansed by any kind of work or any good kind intention. And, you know, again, back in the previous analogies, the dirty clothes, the stained clothes represent sinfulness. These clothes are washed. And the clean clothes, again, describe, describe God's redeemed people like those that were at the marriage supper of the Lamb or will be at the marriage supper. It says, no, a little note here. The tribulation saints um, <clears throat> will be persecuted probably more than any other uh, period of human history as far as the believers go. I mean, to name the name of Christ during that period of time it will, will, be, will be a literal death sentence. You know, and um, <clears throat> well, concerning this future time, uh, for then there will be great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will be, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And I'll tell you, it's going to be a, a rough time for those folks. I mean, even in advance, you might want to pray for those saints. They are going to have it rough. They are going to have it rough. Although, you know, I did notice a tremendously comforting and touching note concerning these tribulation martyrs. If you're in seven, chapter 7, verse 16 and 17, speaking of those saints, those martyrs, they shall one day, and many of them maybe haven't even been born yet, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Jesus himself. Come. Come right into the waters of life. Isn't that amazing? That's a, that's, it was touching. I thought I'd share that with you. It, another word on those who wash their robes in verse 22, 14. Uh, all throughout the scriptures, or even in all throughout Revelation, it talks about the blood of the Lamb. I mean, right from the very beginning. Well, in, in um, <clears throat> chapter 1, verse, verse 5, it says, uh, Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves and releases from our sins by his blood. Again, that's a message that's, that's, that's reiterated over and over and over again. Uh, chapter 5, verse 9, and they sang a new song, Worthy art thou to make the book and to break its seals for you, for you were slain and did purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And then we just saw in, in, in 7.14 the same message. Now the result of being washed is, we saw that in, in verse 14 of chapter 22, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. That would be that city would be the New Jerusalem that was described in the previous chapter, which is the capital city of the new earth, the new heaven and earth, actually. Okay? <clears throat> so that means those who believe, those who have washed their robes, those who have by faith 
believed in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice will in fact be there in the New Jerusalem in what we often call the eternal state. After all of this is said and done and gone, we will be there if by faith one has done that. Now, the second point that comes up in this passage is the warning. The warning. Verse 11 of chapter 22. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. I'm going to stop right there. These people are actually being held in contrast to those who have washed their robes that we saw read about in verse 14, that we read about in verse 14. Um, And the contrast is also described in the second half of this verse where it says, and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness and let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. So again, it's held in contrast. You're going to have those that are, yeah, if, you're doing, if you're a wrongdoer, you're going to stay a wrongdoer. If you're filthy, you may stay filthy. Now, what's that talking about? Well, this is one of those passages that speaks, this passage specifically is speaking about those who are in a state that they have a hardened heart. Now, throughout Scripture, there's warnings given not to harden your heart um, to the point where God then will judicially abandon them. There, there, there is that, there, there's, there's that risk that God will judicially abandon one who goes to whatever that point is of no return. Only God knows what that is. I mean, fully understanding election and all that, there is a point, Scripture says, there's a point you just may go too far. It's a warning. Watch yourself. It's a warning to those that are out there with their minds, quote, unquote, not made up. To those, the warning. Luke 13, 22 to 27 says this. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few ways of being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door... And you begin to stand outside and knock, and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you're from. Then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence and, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. That's spooky. It's, it's, it's a warning. Like, you know, if you're... So one of those, you hang around, hang around, hang around, hang around, then one day the door's going to be closed. Don't hang around. Don't hang around. And you got Romans 1, 22 to 32. Um, and over and over in that passage where you read where you people, it says, you know, like in verse Romans 1, 24, it says, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts. That's judicial. That's, again, that's judicial hardening, Okay. God gave them over to the lust of their heart. Verse 26, it goes through. God gave them over to degrading passions. Passions. God gave them over to a depraved mind. Okay, that's judicial. That's judicial hardening from God. Um, <clears throat> you want an Old Testament example? We won't turn there. A good Old Testament example of judicial hardening is Pharaoh. 
Okay, there's, <clears throat> but that happens. God will do it. Well, I thought God was, a, he is. God is also a God of wrath and a God of judgment and a God of truth. And, and over, and, and again, where it says in Romans 1.28, gave him over to a depraved mind, that word depraved, it, has the, it carries the idea of a, of, a, of a malfunctioning mind, a brain that does not function correctly. It's the kind of brain that says, on one hand, follow the science, and then on the other hand, says there's a half a dozen genders out there. <laughs> that's a mind that's not functioning right. It's functioning from a position of depravity. It's just, it's not, that's not rational. That's crazy. That's not rational. That's not rational, either biblically speaking or scientifically. And another very subtle warning is in chapter 12 of, of <clears throat> excuse me, verse 12 of chapter 22, where it says, I am coming quickly, <clears throat> and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Now, yeah, to the believer we know, right, believers will be judged according to their works for the purpose of rewards. We can, you can see that in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15. We won't turn there today. But also, we're just coming off a passage in Revelation 20 that talks about the uh, great white throne judgment. And who are they at the great white throne judgment? The, all the unsaved of the earth from the beginning of time to the end of the millennium. That's who's going to be there. You just see the flow of the context right on through Revelation. There it is, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 15. And so the non-believers, so every, when he says, I'm going to come judge every man according to words, that applies to both saved and unsaved. So um, again, that should be part of our warning. And in 22.15, there's... That's a huge piece of the warning right there because it's being, I'm going, to, I'm going to read 14 with it just for comparison's sake. It says, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. And then in contrast to that, verse 15 says, outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, and the immoral persons, and the murderers, and the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. Now, outside, outside what? Well, the context here is outside the city. That's the context, outside the city. That means if you're outside the city, you're outside salvation, okay? In the context of, of Revelation 22. Now, the dogs. In Scripture, two animals that don't fare too well. <laughs> One is dogs, and the other is pigs. Dogs and pigs don't do well. You know, I know you got, you know, little Fido on your lap. I mean, that, but... Dogs just don't. And main, the main reason that is the dogs associated in, in biblical times often ran around in packs, causing a lot of problems. You know, you know, to get out there and have a picnic, they come up and bite you on the leg and, you know, take your basket away. But they were just ornery. They were, they were, a, threat to, they were a threat to people. Um, they were just like a wild pack of dogs. I don't know if you've ever seen a wild, a wild pack of domestic, of formerly domesticated dogs. There used to be some where we formerly lived in the high desert. They can be ornery. <laughs> they can be real nasty. They're, and so this is, this is the rap they're given. So, again, it doesn't, it doesn't apply to, you know, Fido at home. Now, for example, dogs, you know, again, is a metaphor for 
immoral, for morally impure people. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 23.18, dogs represent male prostitutes in part of pagan temple worship. In Psalm 22.16, remember that, that psalm about uh, the very prophetic view of Christ on the cross? The dogs refer to those band of evildoers who surrounded the Lord and, quote, they pierced my hands and my feet. Dogs were used for them. Matthew 7, in Matthew 7, 6, Jesus said, you know, do not give what is holy to the dogs and don't cast your pearls before swine. See, the way they link the two together. So <clears throat> that's what the dogs represent. So I'm not going into every little sin listed here. But um, I wanted to stop and take a little bit of look at the word sorcerers, mainly because of the time and in which we live, and quite frankly, the place in which we live. Southern Oregon, although it's not limited to here. The word sorcerers, pharmakos, it's translated those who practice occult magic arts, divinations, witchcraft, etc., it's a general term for that. Now, there's a variety of words that go in there, and, and I, I, I'm just going to rattle them off just so you can get the, get the context of where I'm going here. From pharmakos and pharmakeos and pharmakia, we get our English word pharmacy, pharmacist, and pharmaceuticals. See that? Pharmaceuticals. And, well, what's the point? Well, the word pharmakia translated sorcery and sorcerers in Revelation was originally used of medicine, you know, and, but came to be used of mind-altering drugs due to the fact they were often used in occult ceremonies as a means of communicating with their pagan deities. So now the word is taken on. It, it originally referred to medicines, and then and we can even see in our day and age where people have medicines and variety of drugs that can actually be helpful to mankind, but guess what? Mankind in our sin abuse those things that could be helpful and cause them to be detrimental. Matter of fact, Aristotle and other Greek writers use the word as a synonym for witchcraft and black magic. And it's kind of, and that's how the word was used then. It's kind of picked up and used that way in a scripture. That just want to show you the origin of that. And the fact, again, this, this dire warning. Is, is, is in here in 2215, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers. We can think of a couple of places verse, uh, that it, we can compare this to. One, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, and for the sake of time, I won't turn there. But or in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And I like this, too. This final statement Paul puts on here to remind the readers, because they had a lot of problems in, in Corinth, like many of the local churches in our day and age. I think we might be misguided to think that 100% of the people that show up in church are necessarily saved. I wouldn't want to take that for granted. There's a possibility somebody here may not be a true believer. You may be fooling yourself. But verse 11 says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, 
you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Again, they, somewhere along the line, they, they, they the true believers, came to faith. But this is, these lists, too, aren't lists saying, if you commit anything on this list, you're out. No, everything on those lists is forgivable. Same thing with the list in Galatians, where it says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, there's that word again, uh, <clears throat> strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, disposition, etc., etc. But again, here's the key point. It says, at the end of it, verse 20, it says, Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's the point those that practice these things, those that these things, any one of these things or several of these things describes an individual's lifestyle, that should be a major red flag. Anybody that practices these things as day in and day out, habit of life, I have to use the evidence as scripture calls it, that person most likely is not a true believer. Yeah, you may, we may fall on one or another, but overall, that will not be our lifestyle. The, the, like a sinning brother or sister in Christ. How we know it's a difference between a sinning brother and sister and one that is not a true believer, one that falls in sin won't stay there. Sooner or later, they will come out of that situation. They will come out of that situation, and which is one of the primary purposes of church discipline to jar them into reality hoping that they might come out of that and then 21 verse 7 and 8 again it says uh, he says I'm coming quickly he says um, he who heeds the words of this prophecy he who heeds the words of this prophecy heed listen we got up and in chapter 21, it said it again, that he who overcomes shall inherit the things which I will be, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And there's a little list here. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters, two different words used here for the, for the same idea, and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. We're all going to have that first death. That's okay. It's that second death you don't want any part of because that second death is the full, eternal, spiritual death that there's no recovery from, no recovery. Now, from that point, move to our third point, final point, the invitation. And to get the full meaning of that, Revelation 22, 16 and 17. And I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you by these, by these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And in response to that, in verse 17, And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty say, Come. And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Now, there are three, actually, there's actually three distinct invitations here. Okay? The first, 
the spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. What are they saying, come to? They're saying, in response to verse 16, where to testify these things for the churches, I am the root, and the spirit and the bride are saying, this like it's a gracious invitation. Jesus, come. Yes, Jesus, come. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, the church, say come. So what's going No, it says, well, you know, part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ in John 16, 14. The bride, the church, I mean, throughout the ages, throughout scripture, has longed for the return of Christ. They just in this thing. And, and why, why do we long for him? Because, because of what he's done for us. I mean, don't you long for, the, for Jesus to once and for all assume his rightful position as king of kings and lord of lords for the whole world to see? Isn't that what we want? To glorify him, to see him glorified in all his splendor and glory. And yes, to be part of that. I mean, that's what the church longs for, especially those churches under persecution. You know, long for that second coming. And the second one that says, the second one says, and let the one who hears say come. Well, who's that? Well, in the context of this, of this book, I have to say, and commentators are all over the place on these things. It's, a, it's one of those real difficult passages. I think it probably is referring to, because that is so close to the uh, context of this statement, is that those who hear are likely to be those, the faithful of the tribulation period. We've got the Holy Spirit and the, the bride is the church in Revelation. Those who hear the messages, well, we just talked about this, the saved throughout the tribulation. They're saying, come Lord Jesus. Matter of fact, throughout, in, in different spots, uh, the, the souls under the altar says, Lord, when, 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 when is the time? You know, so that has been kind of an ongoing plea to begin with. But the third invitation is the one that I really want to focus in on this morning, where it says, and let the one who is thirsty... The one who is thirsty describes those whose hearts have not been hardened as those in verse 11. Those you, you have a thirst. You have a thirst for maybe you don't know. You're here. If you're here, you, you have a thirst for, to be one of God's people. You have, you have a thirst for the divine. You wish you know, that uh, you knew for a fact where you were going. And I want to take one little note here that the, in total, Revelation 22, 14 through 17, when considered as a whole, is one big call to repentance. Let's, let's look at it real quickly like that as we, we're getting a little short here. 14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes and they have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside of the dog. Here's again a comparison. Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. And then Jesus goes on to say, I, Jesus, have sent my messenger. I am the root, the offspring of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. If you're, again, if you're thirsty, come. I mean, I compare that to... Um, this invitation, especially 14 and 15, where it says, blessed are those who wash their robes and outside of the dogs, to like Isaiah chapter 1, 16 through 20, that says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of, of your deeds from my sight, cease to do evil. 
Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. And here's the invitation. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Again, change, repent. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 33, 11, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that you turn from his ways and live. And it says, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O Israel, O house of Israel? You see, these, these calls to repentance, and that, you know, that's, that's what repentance is. It means to turn around turn around the the unrepentant are moving away from god repent means turn around turn away from the sinful lifestyle move move towards god turn around again that repentance is part of the gospel message always has been um it started with john the baptist right what would say down at the river repent for the kingdom is at hand and then you can move forward from that in um, jesus coming uh right off of the temptation he come, well, the first thing in Matthew 4.17 follows the, the passage on the, uh, his temptation by the Satan. From that time on, Jesus began to, say, began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the apostles, same with them. You just follow it right through. I've got here in Acts chapter 2, the very first sermon spoken by the church. Now when they heard this, They were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. Each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now I kept going because I don't want you to get confused about baptism's role in all this. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified, and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So here, this I want to put the statement of baptism in perspective here. So then those who had received his word, as in believed, were baptized. And that, that, <clears throat> and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Yeah, you get, if you stop with that first verse, you, you've stopped with um, verse 38, you could get the false impression that being baptized is part of being saved? No. It's a response to being saved. It's a very important thing to be done, but it, there's no sancti- sanctifying grace in there or any grace at all. What it is, it's a matter of obedience that everybody who, who honestly names the name of Christ as their Lord and Savior should exercise that obedience and be baptized. And this is not a message on baptism. So, in conclusion, I'd like to throw out a couple of questions very quickly. Just in case, my chance somebody's not here. Have you been, have you washed your robes in the blood of the Lamb? In other words, are you, have, are you, or perhaps, are you thirsty for God's eternal forgiveness? You know, have you come to the place in your life that you recognize that you are, in fact, a sinner and in need of salvation? Need that washing, need to repent as all of mankind need to. Romans, 3, Romans 
It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have you come to the point of understanding that? Christ died and paid the price for those who would believe. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his, <clears throat> his, own, his own love toward us. And, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, and that did you realize that this, this salvation is, a, in fact, a free gift for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And how is this gift acquired? Well, by absolute faith in Jesus Christ and as Lord and Savior. And what does Romans, we'll end with this, Romans 10, 8 to 13 says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith, which, which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord over all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For, again, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a very matter-of-fact statement. That's a promise. If you truly call upon the name of the Lord in faith, you will be saved. If by chance somebody's confused about that, would like to talk to somebody about that. You know, if you can't find anybody, get real desperate. You can even talk to me. That's fine. And I'll tell you, if, if that's something you think you need to do, I'll tell you, I have got nothing more important than to talk to you. Okay? So if that's something you need and feel you want to discuss, feel free. And there's other folks in here, I'm sure, that would that feel the same way. So let's uh, close in word prayer. Father God, we, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that um, we can have faith in your word, we can trust your word, but Lord, we do. I do pray this morning that if by chance there is somebody here that has not taken that step of faith, Lord, that we pray that your, the Holy Spirit would impress upon that individual the need to do such thing. And again, Lord, we thank you for this time together, and we pray that... Uh, your word has made it past my shortcomings and gotten to where it needs to go. And again, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.